Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season eight, episode seven. We're coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio, home of the Arnold Classic. That's right. Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding competition. I've never been invited to that, Terry. I'm thinking about entering this year, Alan, because (laughs) trust me, I have have spent this year building my body. Uh, I think. They might be thinking of that a different way, Terry, just for reference. Oh, shucks. I I knew I was going to qualify. Anyway, I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, uh, Eastern Pay Alliance Director of Development. Isaac Charles, our producer, sitting high above us, monitoring all activity and verbiage. Mm. Today, Alan, good friends of ours, Mark and Cora Tabi are... Joining us, international workers from um, Montevideo, Uruguay, happen to be on home assignment. Yes, we call that home assignment. Yes, yeah, making we do. sure we get the right verbiage. <laughs> and uh, we've both been privileged to visit them on the field. I only once, but you a number of uh-huh. times. A number of and times, yeah. What, what do you love about this couple, Alan? Well, I love the fact that they love the city they're serving in. Yeah. Uh, when they talk about which I'm sure they will, uh, you know, their heart for these people and their love for these people. It's authentic. It is not their job. It's who they are and how has God wired them. I love, uh, I love that they're real. I love that they are praying people. I love that they are team building people. Um, there's lots to love about them. So I'm very thankful for them. It's true. So grab yourself a, Uruguayan grapefruit soda, Pasa de los Toros. Yes, that stuff is so good. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And it's our privilege to welcome Mark and Cora Tabi to our Equipping You podcast. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for having us. Hi. So... Uh, we like to give our listeners the opportunity to get to know our guests a little, not a lot, just a little, honestly. <laughs> we don't want to know too much. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let you know if you're sharing too much. But <laughs> so uh, tell us your story. How, how did you, uh, you know, your spiritual journey? How'd you come to know Jesus and uh, those kind of things? Mark, Mark told me to start because I'm better at being brief. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I can affirm that. And yep. he said he'll he'll fill in the rest. Yeah. Um but both of us are are TCKs. Mark grew up in Argentina and I grew up in Quito, Ecuador. His parents were church planners and mine um taught at the Alliance Academy. So in some ways, um born into the Alliance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. <laughs> Um, we met in high school at the Alliance Academy. Mark was a dorm kid and, um, we led worship together and did a lot of ministry together. Um, after he graduated high school, he went to John Brown and I went to Moody 
the school that Deal Moody founded. And um, then we both went back to Ecuador to work with short-term mission trips. And that was the summer where Mark pursued me and I said, I'm not interested. (laughs) And because I had liked him for two, for like five years. And I said, this, it's been too long. I'm over (laughs) that. Yeah. So then we got ourselves organized and um, he came to visit me in Chicago. And then we sort of started sort of our, our journeys and our callings sort of merged in some ways, if you want to talk about it like that. But I, um, I came to know Jesus in a Sunday school class in Fort Myers, Florida, really wow. remember like a lady putting the flannel graph on the flannel graph. Yeah. The flannel graph cross and just recognizing that I was in need of the forgiveness of God and prayed with my mom. And that lady faithfully sent uh, me letters like every year of my life um, as a TCK, which those things are really meaningful and and precious. Um, And then in eighth grade at that same church, our family was on home assignment and um, Faith Scarra was speaking on missions. And I just, um, knew that's what God was asking me to do with my life. Um, and so I really, really single-mindedly like pursued that maybe a little too like (laughs) single-mindedly. Um, but when, when Mark and I started dating and pursued marriage, then we, we had to do that thing of like, so how do our callings merge and where is the, where, how do we do this together now? Um, and so for me, it meant opening my hands a little bit more. And for him, it meant focusing a little bit more. <laughs> um, and then we just pursued missions with the Alliance. So I don't know if there's yeah. anything else you want to. Yeah, no, for me, I I came to faith when I was about six years old on a home assignment year. And uh, I was watching a 911 episode, um, if you remember those. <laughs> yes. And everyone died in the episode. And I just, I turned to my mom yeah, first of all, we need to we need to ask my parents why did they let me watch that? But um divine sovereignty. Yeah, I turned to my mom, you know, and I just said what would happen to me? And uh so she she um just explained uh, the, the gospel and I I mean, I received Christ with my twin which is really special and in that moment I just re- I remember the Holy Spirit just lifting feeling the lift of sins out of my oh, life. Oh, that's beautiful. And um and kind of started that walk with God. And what she's referring to, and she's talking about, you know, that we kind of had to figure out our callings together. I always felt called to ministry. I loved seeing what mom and dad were doing and seeing the ministry miracles, large and small happening. And, um, but I felt called to ministry, not necessarily international ministry. And so that was one of the things that God throughout the process, just kind of, I was more of a, I'm I'm kind of slow in the process of following God, and uh, so every it was kind of the step of faith every moment um, until we ended up in Uruguay. Mm, great, I love it. My favorite little country, love it so much. Uh, so, you know, we one of our favorite questions to ask. We ask it almost every episode: is who's influenced you? You know, we've asked you on because you have some influence and you're serving Jesus, but it's always great to hear how you have been influenced by others. Uh, to do what God has called you to do. So fire away. For me, um, well, I mean, obviously your parents always influence you. Um, 
But one of the one of the big influencers in my life was a, a chaplain at the Alliance Academy. He was uh, he was an international worker with another organization, and he was leading that. And he was just one of these guys that um, you know. I was a middle schooler through high school, kind of in this mentor relationship with him. And he was a guy that would just take risks with God all the time. And um, I was just very impressed um, by that. Um, he wouldn't ever say no uh, to God. <laughs> so that was just, it really, really challenged me as a high schooler. Um, and he he also gave me just a ton of opportunities uh, to serve. And so, you know, I was part of a, the worship band there. And then we kind of, we had this Christian service outreach and I was part of uh, another band there and just, you know, played the guitar, sang and just had a lot of opportunities to to serve, and um, and he was very instrumental, um, and also my calling, as were two other guys that kind of mentored me throughout high school, and just speaking truth into my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, one of the last ones was just simply, Mark, what are you doing with your life? You kind of have this pastoral gift. Um, what are you going to do with that? And at that point, I was I was running away from my calling. I was kind of doing the Jonah thing. Um, that doesn't so, work out too well in the end. I mean. it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And then, I mean, it was just really sweet. So, and I'm still in contact with him. I go to a leadership uh, summit every uh, year uh, with him and a group of other guys, and it's just been amazing. Kind of sounds to me like you were a teenage rock star, and he was your band manager. That's, what uh, that's pretty much what I what I think too. Yeah, 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 I, yeah thought so. I thought so. That's what I thought I'm you were trying to say. That dream. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I would say my my mom was very influential in my life. Um, my she can is, be very influential. That mom, can be. mom is Amy Redding. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> she works with Terry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just seeing a a woman wholeheartedly pursue Jesus and mm-hmm. and then live it out loudly <laughs> um, was just. A gift, you know, it's a She's gift. Love to this. Grow up. <laughs> a gift to grow up um, seeing that modeled. Just, just the freedom of following Jesus and using yeah. your gifts. Um, and then another friend of ours was a youth leader at the Alliance Academy, uh, Laura Gowan, who just she's she's like a few steps ahead of me. You know how that is. So like yeah. right now she's parenting teenagers. Well, we're we don't have teenagers yet. We have an eleven year old which is like terrifying because she's looking me in the eyes now. Um, But we just saw them last week. And again, it's like just she's one step ahead of me showing me what it looks like. What are the struggles? How do you follow Jesus in a new stage of life? So really thankful for her friendship. Yeah, good. That's great. So both of you grew up, as you said, as third culture kids, uh, TCKs, formerly known as MKs, missionary kids. We love to change the names of everything in the Alliance to keep people confused. (laughs) So uh, what were the joys and what were the challenges of that? And how has it been good for you uh, in in terms of now uh, being adults and being IWs and, and looking back on that experience? I think one of the, the really easy things to say that's a joy of being a TCK is um, opening your heart to the world. Um, I know that again, everything we say is probably not true of all TCKs, right? It's, we're sharing from our perspective. And I know that there's, 
there is some some pain and sorrow also in TCK living. Um, but for for me personally, just that separation from one culture and opening your heart to another is just a really precious gift and a gift that has continued to give as I've moved to a different country and met people from all over the world. Um, just being able to to see the creativity of God and the goodness of God as um, expressed through through different cultures, different food, different um, traditions, all that kind of stuff is just, it's just a gift. It's beautiful. Um, we also didn't have to go to language study because <laughs> we grew up speaking a second language, which Bonus. is seriously, it's an amazing gift. Um, we've watched teammates and other people. It's just so hard to learn a language and then minister in a second language. So that's a gift that we received for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely loved being uh, a TCK um, and get to, I was just another Argentine growing up in Argentina. And that's kind of how I, I, my experience was uh, when I got to the Alliance Academy, especially, I got to just see a lot of people um, just living out um, their calling and ministry in super creative ways. And um, I mean, I was just super privileged to see so many people doing that and just being on fire for God. And so that was super inspirational for me um, as a kid and, you know, moving forward, yeah. you know, the challenges I think of, of TCK is all the goodbyes. Um, I think one of the big pieces um, that I had to deal with in my own life was being willing to, to continually open my heart um, to people. And especially when I was on home assignment. So, you know, for the year we were back in the U S I knew it was kind of a short time. And um, I remember at one point in my life, just kind of saying, you know, just endure, like we're, you just got to get through the year and then you'll be back home, which was Argentina and Ecuador for me back then. And so there's just this really hard, un, sort of you're not rooted. And there's things about that, that I mourn. Like I didn't really get to know my extended family very well. And, you know, to this day, I still have that longing of, of mm. being with my extended family and getting to know my extended family a bit more. But, um, you know, overall, my experience just has been really, really positive um, as, a, as a third culture kid. And I think there's a resilience that comes with being a third culture kid. I think the dark side of that is that we, we can be a little self-sufficient sometimes mm-hmm. um, because we've kind of learned how to like trudge through hard times. Um, but there is a flexibility, uh, resilience, I think, to most uh, people that have kind of experienced a third cultural, uh, third culture experience. So, yeah, I would say those are some of the, the good and the bad. And, you know, for, for, for us, like Cora said, it really prepared us for ministry overseas mm-hmm. um, for the very thing that God, you know, our childhood really shaped us into being who we are for the very thing that God prepared for us as adults. And so we have, yeah, I mean, that's been a huge gift because we get to be sort of, I mean, especially for me, I kind of felt like I came back home to Uruguay. Yeah. Um, And so I understand the culture. I understand the way people think. Um, And yes, I'm still kind of, I'm different because I am American and I'm Ecuadorian and I'm a little Argentine. But, you know, there's there's a there's a knowing there that I don't know that you can actually have if you're not a TCK. 
And another thing that we've talked about is um, we also saw our parents, the challenges that they faced. Um, So there's a little bit of an understanding of the reality of of missions just from from living it vicariously through our parents. Although it's very different when then it's your problem. Mm -hmm. You're not just watching it. (laughs) But there's there's some understanding there that is is helpful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume that uh, for you guys, like you, you get credibility sooner when people in Uruguay find out you basically lived in South America your whole life. Yes, it helps. It definitely helps. Yeah, that's really cool. That is really cool. So part of the journey of almost every Alliance Missions Access Worker is what we now call a license, Alliance License Ministry Experience. Because we not only like to change names, but make them as long and forgettable <laughs> as possible. Exactly. But Who anyhow, would want to call that home service? I know. Imagine that. What a concept. Anyhow, you guys did home service. Yeah, we did. Alliance. I was going to say, we were before that. You were before that. That's right. Uh, but that is the new term. And uh but so talk to us about where you served before you went to Uruguay. And then how did that prepare you uh, for being an Alliance International Worker? Yeah, so we served in, um, it's a Western suburb of, of Chicago, uh, Bloomingdale Church. And um, we started a college ministry um, there. It was 1820-somethings ministry. Um, and it really, I mean, it prepared me to think strategically. Um, I'm you know, I had never started anything from scratch and we were called into uh, this ministry to just do the cold calls, get to know people and just kind of start this college ministry. And, um, you know, there were moments where we, we got to experience what we often experience on the field where you're kind of looking out the window window of your house going, will anyone come, you know, <laughs> is this going to work? Um, and so that was, uh, I think, super helpful um, for us. It helped us to learn how to build relationships. Um, so I, I learned, I mean, I was con- kind of a college student anyway, when I graduated, I was 21 years old when we started yeah. serving at Bloomingdale Church. They took a huge risk on us. So, you know, I got to hang out with people, my peers in many ways, playing video games, board games, going out for coffee and just kind of like uh, doing the relational ministry that that required. Um, And college ministry is just really, really fun because it's people are in this stage where they're kind of figuring out who they are, what they want to do with their life. And I was kind of figuring that out with them. So that was really, really, really helpful. It was helpful to kind of become a little bit more biblically literate and the theology work that I had to do, uh, work on my skills as a teacher and as a pastor, uh, that was huge. And so we did the licensing during that time. Um, we, I got ordained during that time and it was, it was just huge, um, for me on a personal level. And then it, it also gave us a place to kind of put down some roots and so we we really felt at home at Bloomingdale, and they have walked with us then every step of the way on our journey. And that has been, I mean, they've just been huge partners with us in prayer, uh, financially, um, just relationally. So um, I, I would say those are some of the the great highlights of doing the the home service. Fantastic, one, that's good. One of the the Mark's mentors, I think, it, when you were in college told him, Mark, you have to fall in love with the church. Mm. Like he, he told him yeah. that. And I think for us, 
our time at, at Bloomingdale doing our ALME was that yep. like learning just, I don't know, receiving in some ways God's heart for his people, mm-hmm. for the local expression of the body and learning how to show up even when it's not easy or, you know, yeah. and le- yep. learning to love the people that um, walk in the doors, even when they're the people you didn't expect or, and I think that lesson for us has served us really well in, yeah. in working as access workers, for sure. Yeah. There you go. See, there's the brilliant bomb. You have to love the local church. It was a, it was a brilliant bomb. There we go. See, I knew it would come out. <laughs> yeah. you, just can't, yeah. you just can't ask for it. You just have to let it emerge. Exactly. It's an art to this. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy to enlighten you, Terry. Be sure to read Alan's book, The Art of Podcast Interviews, mm-hmm. published by no, no one. No one. Uh, well, back to Mark and Cora. Uh, what are some things that potential international workers need to intentionally think about before they begin international ministry? It was funny. We were talking about this question, and it's hard because a lot of what we would say to somebody are things we learned on the field, you know, like there are things we didn't necessarily know, but I guess if you think about it, it gives you a, maybe a, a head start in some ways. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I would say is learning to pray. That's been the lesson of the last 10 years for me. Um, learning to, to listen to the Holy spirit. Yeah. I mean, we all know this, but you can have all the knowledge and all the great ideas, but without the empowerment of the spirit, nothing's going to happen. Also, sometimes the only thing that you can control is your time with the Lord. (laughs) So if you can't control the outcome, learning to take it to the feet of Jesus and intercede for the place and the people that you love so much, um, that's been, I would say, something I've had to learn on the field, but I think if you can learn it, the sooner the better to listen to the Holy Spirit and to, to really lean into prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I would also say it's, it's about the work that God wants to do in you also mm-hmm. um, more than uh, even, I think we, as international workers, we think we're going to conquer the world for Jesus. Right. Yeah. Um, and what, what's been kind of interesting for me is that God has really used our experiences overseas to shape our identity. And so as much as an international worker can uh, learn about yourself, the things that make you tick, um, the passions that you have before going uh, overseas and even what what you do in conflict. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I mean the small things, even like, are you a city person? Do you need the outdoors? I mean, there's all sorts of things about the context where you're going to be that there's just so much more stress overseas. You feel like you're you're constantly messing up and learning things that um, kind of learning your identity uh, ahead of time and knowing some of those things really helps when you hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's amazing to think about how that uh, has impacted you and uh, how you have thought intentionally. I would consider you both very intentional people. Absolutely. So, like you said, you a lot of you know you go into a international work thinking we're going to conquer the world for Jesus. But talk to us about this for a second. You, when you go in, you have certain expectations. What's one thing you expected that has proven true, and what's one thing that has surprised you about international ministry? We were one of the things that we say because we're TCKs, and like we said, we knew it could be hard. 
you have to be flexible. We're like, we don't have any expectations. That's like what we said going into, into international ministry. We're just going to have open hands. We're not going to have any expectations. And as soon as you hit the ground, you realize, oh, we had a few expectations. <laughs> and now I, know, now I know what those expectations are. Um, but one of the things we talk about is, I, this is really funny. I don't know if this analogy will will go far with your audience, but it's. I told Mark, it's kind of like when you go to a birthing class and they tell you it's going to be hard and you have to do these things. And, but the experience of actually having a baby is very different from, <laughs> from just the birthing class because now you're actually doing it. And I think that for us was true also in, in, in going overseas is, and I think too, for us, um, moving from an organized church to church planting was also part of yes. that, that just challenge, um, where you're going from structure to now you have to create the structure and find the people and help them understand what you're doing here. But I think the feeling of hard and what it does to you is very different from the expectation of it. It, Like feeling, feeling um, the like squeeze of being in a, a, another country with another language, trying to um, get a church off the ground feels very different than what you thought it was going to feel yeah. like. I don't know if I. Yeah. Who, who would have thought that starting from zero would be hard, right? Um, <laughs> no, it should be. I mean, you started a college ministry. How hard yeah. to be planning a church in an international city. <laughs> so I think that's one of the, yeah, it's really, really uh, one of the realities is you start from zero and I had no expectation of it being so hard. I, I kind of thought it was going to be a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Our, we're we're church planning in the one of the most secular cities in Latin America, um, and if we would were to say what the context is like, it's probably resistant to the gospel, very much secular mindset in terms of there. It probably isn't a god, and if there is, it doesn't really impact my life. Maybe or maybe I don't have a soul. So um, that I guess when we talk about it being difficult, there's also just that added element of a of a place that also there's a lot of distrust of organized religion just in general so yeah. it's basically um, france like a european country in latin america that's kind of yeah. what it feels like yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so you guys have finished two terms living there eight eight-ish years in um, in montevideo uruguay going to return in january what do you love about the people of uruguay one one of the things you you notice immediately about Uruguayans is their solidarity. They're incredibly generous people, um, and just willing to help. Um, they're they're kind of the way I tend to describe a Uruguayan is they're introverted Argentines, um, and Argentines tend to be these wild, crazy, fun party people. Uruguayans tend to be kind of introspective, and uh, I just I. I just love kind of the the intellectual piece to them. They have a passion for like thinking critically and being honest and kind of searching things. And they're really kind of low key. There's a beach culture because we live, you know, right next to the coast. So there's kind of this easygoing, um, low keyness to Uruguayans. And they, they tend to be like connected to nature in, in a way that Americans just don't don't connect, I think. Um, they're constantly looking at the ocean. They love going to the country and just there's kind of like 
an earthiness to them. I honestly don't know, but I, I absolutely love it um, about them. I would say too, it's kind of funny because at the beginning it it like bothered me. Tr- there's not a lot of traditions in terms of like holidays or things like mostly you celebrate with asado, like the grilling the beef over wood flat fire. It's awesome. So good right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Um, everyone come visit Uruguay. <laughs> I had I, think- I had two of those in my first 48 hours in Uruguay. With a Brazilian steakhouse thrown in. <laughs> nice. for good awesome. That's a good visit right there. Yeah. yeah. Life um, is good. Neat. Neat. Yeah, it's amazing. But then I think I came to love just that it's, there's not a lot of fanfare, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes in the U.S. we can be so extra about things like Christmas all the packaging changes and now you can get peppermint Oreos with like Christmas trees on them. And there's just like a lot. And Uruguay is definitely, there's like less options, less choices, just a little bit more like, yeah, just simple. I I appreciate that. It's probably for us right now too, because we're on home assignment. So we're like, you go to the cereal aisle and you go, ah, (laughs) so many (laughs) options, but that's, yeah, that's something I appreciate. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. So aside from my visit, what have been some of the highlights of your of your first year first uh, eight years in Uruguay? He did not eliminate my visit. So uh, well, you guys came together too, so that counts. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We came at the same time, Terry. We did, we did. Yeah, I think one of the highlights for me was uh seeing El Star Church come to life. Yes. El Star um, means means the family room. And yeah. so the, the whole concept beto- behind the church is that we want it to be a safe place where people can kind of explore faith and do life. And so um, that that was that started four years ago. It's just been really fun to walk with people in their faith journey and, and just get real honest um, and have the conversations about faith and ask questions. So that has, has been a highlight. Even with COVID, I mean, we lost two years kind of to, we had to go virtual for two years, um, but God just really used that time to, for us to go deeper with one another. And um, so that was huge. We also got a building, which was a huge gift. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, there aren't many churches. You don't see churches on every corner or hardly anywhere. And so um, we kind of decided, well, let's kind of have this beachhead. Uh, for the kingdom of God in this community. And so uh, we're doing English classes and all sorts of stuff out of there. And it's just been really fun to see how God has used that to kind of establish our identity in in this place and to grow the kingdom of God and and have experiences where uh, people that have absolutely no faith in Jesus feel very comfortable to come in and be a part of the community that's going on. So that, that for me has been a highlight. And we finished our term with eight baptisms, which was yes. just blew my mind. Right. I yes. honestly, I didn't expect uh, that to happen. And God just moved in the lives of people. And they gave their testimonies in front of all, you know, their friends and family. Most of the, most of them had never seen a baptism. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that's, yeah. that is beautiful. Absolutely. So what breaks your heart about this city that you love? The first thing that always comes to mind is just that there are so many barriers to people coming to faith. Mm. Um, Just kind of like we talked about intellectually, if you think about someone already um, doesn't think they have a soul, 
and that probably there isn't a God. And then, so just thinking about first getting past those barriers and then that your soul is in need of a relationship with God and that you can only have that through Jesus. Sometimes when you look at it, it feels so far. (laughs) It's like, I think one of the gifts that God has given us in walking with people there is realizing sometimes I think previously in my life was like, Oh, atheists or agnostics. So how can you not believe that? But when you walk with someone who has never had the opportunity to understand that God loves them and that he came for them, there's just like, I feel like God has given us compassion for, Mm -hmm. for someone that's in that place like how can you how can you believe this or is this really true and so for us that's just it it breaks our heart that our friends are are far from Jesus but at the same time we celebrate any movement (laughs) towards him you know and I think that's something that God has also taught us how to do Mm -hmm. in these years is like just trusting him for for what he's doing with what we're doing um, and celebrating every time someone asks a new question or um, has one of their questions answered or uh, participates in something maybe they wouldn't have before. Or I think for me, that would, yeah. I mean, and we say that generally, but there's names behind that. You know, when I say that, like our friends who have far are far from Jesus, there's like a million names that come to our mind of people that we're praying for and long um, to see them transformed um, by Christ experience peace and his love and all those things. So for us, that's the the number one barrier. You know, and I, uh, having talked with you guys, you know, just a few times, it comes out of you that you, that breaks your heart. Yeah. This is not just an answer to a question. I see that in you guys. So thanks for that. Um, I love that. So you guys are the team leaders in Montevideo. What are your hopes and prayers for your continued work with your team in that city? Yeah, so um, our, our goal is that every neighborhood among the least reach in Latin America would have a gospel-centered, encounter-based community of faith where they can grow in the knowledge of Jesus and follow him. Mm-hmm. And so that has been, for us, just the calling. I mean, it's a lifetime calling of seeing churches multiplied, networks of faith multiplied in, this, in the city, in every neighborhood that doesn't have a witness. And so, um, you know, we, we look at it as uh, here we are, Lord, we want to dedicate our whole life to this, if possible, if you would have it that way. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. We, we really are praying for leaders to, to rise up. Um, it is not a very, um, very sexy thing to be a pastor in, in Uruguay. Um, most, most people um, just have a lot of distrust. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we, we need leadership. And so one of the big things we need to focus on in the future is just training pastors and kind of creating a pipeline for uh, leadership to come through and experiences where they can have internships and, and experience um, kind of what, it, what it's like. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a big prayer request moving forward. And then, you know, we have a, an amazing team there. And so as we continue to multiply, um, it'll be it'll be fun to see how God uses the different gifts and talents that each one of us uh, has. And so, you know, we've seen God use English and we have a lot of people that are trained in English. Um, we'll see how God uses that in the future. Perhaps a coffee shop in the future. That's one of the dreams I, I continue to kind of hold on to a little bit. And so, yeah, we have teammates doing um, 
inner healing and prayer, prayer ministry, ministry, which has right. been just really important with COVID with what people have been dealing with and their isolation. And um, so I would say, yeah, to just longing to see people healed, yep. even in their soul coming alive. And then also in processing wounds and trauma and then um, living in the fullness of, of the spirit. And um, for me too, my, something that connects sort of with some other things we've talked about is I have my master's in teaching English. Um, and something that we say to international workers who are people thinking about going out, it doesn't hurt to have a, a marketable skill. <laughs> <laughs> While we do believe that being a pastor is a necessary, important thing. Some people don't know they, they want that. So having a skill that people immediately connect with and, and you have the opportunity to, to serve them really well um, has been important. So for us is in our context where there's a lot of people not ready to attend a church um, or any kind of religious, whatever um, they can come to our English camps where they know their kids are going to be loved on. They can come to adventure camp where we take teens to do like adventure sports and rappelling and canoeing and all that kind of stuff. Um, or they can sit in a conversation club with um, native speakers where they get to talk about anything and everything. And often in the midst of those um, mm-hmm. experiences, conversations happen that lead to deeper things, or you find the people that have been searching and haven't known where to go and you get to talk to them and invite them to our church community. And so that's, I think we have a lot of dreams too, about what that part of our ministry mm-hmm. can look like. Um, we have right now 28 kids attending weekly at kids club. Um, most which is held at our church building, most of which don't come of those kids don't come to church, which to me is just a really, God gave me this vision that of our church being a place um, where our non-church friends feel safe to be and they love to be there. Um, So it's been really exciting that we've only had our building a year, um, but immediately that was happening where, where we have all kinds of people in and out all week. And it's a place where they um, feel peace and they feel loved. And so that's been really special for us. Well, Mark and Cora, really appreciate you sharing with Absolutely. us today. Thank great, you guys. great stuff. Appreciate both of you. Yep. Love you a lot. It really was one of my highlights to be able to visit you guys in uh, Uruguay 2017. Yeah. Never, never forget being gathered around a dining room table while a Montevideo lady shared her story of coming to Jesus and seeing the tears of Joy running down the faces of our IWs. Great, great, memorable, unforgettable experience. So, Mm. absolutely. So, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and thanks for what you do. Thank you. Thanks. Yep. Well, I'm reminded again, Alan, that we have great Alliance International workers. We definitely do love being able to support them through prayer and through giving, and occasionally going to be with them on the. on the field yes absolutely so uh, any thoughts that you'd like to share with us about this uh, episode alan well you know i think the alliance has moved out of most fields in south america Mm -hmm. Uh, we are still in paraguay and uruguay because they are the countries that have the least amount of evangelical believers and uh as mark and cora shared uruguay is one of or may be the most secular city in Latin America, yep. not many believers at all. 
very atheistic or at best agnostic, you know, it's in their heart. And I think they match that. And I think that's one thing the Alliance really does well on. They work really, we work really hard uh, to match people in the right spots. And I think this is a case where a home run has been hit. Agreed with that. Great team down there. Absolutely. It's been a joy to be there several times. So thanks for listening. Hope you uh, gained a deeper appreciation for Alliance missions through this episode. Uh, Next episode, we'll have with us Adam Kluwer, Alliance pastor, who's going to give us a glimpse at glimpse. What in the world does that mean? That was redundant, Terry. It was. We'll let you know next time what it means. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.